We thank you for all you've given us. God, we know that you are our Father, and we pray today you would speak to your children. Lord, there are those of us who come into the place like this, and we feel shame. We feel guilt. Father, remind us what your word says, that there is zero condemnation in Jesus. And you are proud of us, and you love us. I pray today you would speak to us clearly. Amen? Amen. Be seated. All right, we got a great day planned. I'm going to let you in a little secret. If you're new with us, you're not going to really resonate with this, but we are in the book of Acts, and we have been going through weekly, and today is our second to last day. Next Sunday, we finish up Acts, and then we're going to do a few weeks of discovering what it meant for us. But, but right now we're in Acts 20 and we have Paul. We've been following him around as he travels from city to city and even sails from country to country. And he's going around preaching about Jesus, calling people to repentance, and he's saying goodbye because God has made some things clear to him. And in Acts 20, verses 22, as he's talking, he says some things that I want to talk about and open up today. In Acts 20, verse 22, he says, And now, compelled by the Spirit, I am going to Jerusalem. I don't know what's going to happen to me there. I only know that in every city I go to, the Holy Spirit warns me that prison and hardships are facing me. However, I consider my life worth nothing to me. My only aim is to finish the race and complete the task which the Lord Jesus has given me, the task of preaching and testifying the good news of God's grace. Such a strange text today, such a strange read. It's foreign to us. We have Paul here, and he's being led to go back to Jerusalem, which isn't a big deal. He's been led by the Spirit every step of the way. But we see here that as he goes, the Spirit is telling him that he will be facing hardships and prison, which, first of all, if we just stop right there, didn't we think at some level that following the Holy Spirit that was supposed to spare us from those kind of things? Like, isn't that the deal? We come to Jesus, and then he keeps us from hardship, and he shows us how to go through life and, like, just miss it? Isn't that how it goes? Right? I mean, in American Christianity, we've come to view Jesus as some sort of bubble wrap that protects our life from hardship and bad things, right? Jesus saves us from hardship. It's, that's in the Bible, right? It's right there next to that verse, let go and let God. And right ne- between the verse that says, God will never give you more than you can bear. It's not in there. None of that's in there. See, we have this moment where we have Paul being called by the Holy Spirit, and he's going to head into some hardship. And this reminds me of an old illustration. My dad preached this back in my childhood. I remember it from there. That's how I know these messages are connecting, and you're going to remember these decades from now, Right? See, my dad preached a message, and he talked about how there was this, uh, it's a pretty common illustration, this, this man is on the side of a cliff hanging onto a branch. We have no idea why. We don't know who he is. He's hanging onto a branch, and he looks up, and he, he looks to the heavens, and he says, help me, help me. And he hears this voice from heaven that says, my son, let go. And the man looks down, oh, looks back up, and is there anyone else up there? You see, we want a gospel. We want a God that keeps us from hard decisions and hardships and especially keeps us from prison and those things, right? You know, Paul has been called by God. He's been saved by Jesus and he is led by the Holy Spirit. That's what he knows and that's what Paul values most. But it's gonna cost him everything else. You see, the, the price tag for Paul following the Spirit, the price tag is high 
and he's getting a sense of what it might be. It's going to for sure mean his arrest and torture and probably lead to his death. And Paul's attitude and response to it is foreign to us. It's strange. He says, I consider my life worth nothing. If we were to translate what he said into our our nomenclature, he would be saying, listen, I don't know what's going to happen to me. However, it's not my life I'm most worried about. What I'm most concerned about is preaching this gospel that God has given me. Doing God's will is what matters most, and and I I will go through anything to complete that. I must go and preach, and if I need be, I'll go and die. My life means nothing. You know, something in Paul's heart is settled that in our heart isn't settled quite yet. You know, Paul says, whatever happens, whatever the cost, I will do God's will. And Paul's attitude on two things here strikes me. His attitude, first and foremost, his perspective on God's will. He puts it above everything. He puts it before everything. He puts it before his own safety, before his own health, before his own life. He puts God. His second thing that surprises me is his, his perspective and his attitude towards his own life, or his own death, actually. You see, Paul doesn't seem afraid to die. He doesn't seem afraid to go into these hardships. He knows it'll be difficult. He knows it will result in the loss of his freedom. His perspective on his life and his death seem very unique. They're not as unique as I'd first thought. Did you know there's an entire culture that shares this view of death with Paul? Did you know that? I, I, from time to time, I, study, I like to study some strange things, and, and right now I'm on this astrophysics kick, like re- reading of books about space and stuff like that. But for a while, my, what I loved to read about was samurai. I have all these books, two of the shorter ones, these books on the samurai from Japan. And you're wondering, oh great, I've always wanted a sermon about samurai. <laughs> I've come, you come to the right church, this is great. Uh, but I, I'm, I, I've read a lot about the, the Japanese samurai, and it's interesting because they weren't even mentioned until the 10th century, and they were the warrior class of Japan. And they were these, these warriors who were dedicated. They had a code of conduct. And it was more than just a code of conduct because that would just be their behavior. It was a code of existing, a code of being. It was how they would be and their actions would flow from it. They had a code of conduct and they called it Bushido. Everybody say Bushido. Bushido comes from two words, bushi meaning warrior and do meaning way. Bushido means the way of the warrior. And it was their code of conduct. And there's lots of ancient books written by and for the samurai. um, But it seems a completely foreign culture as you get in and read some of their attitudes toward death and towards life. Now, the code they live by has many different facets. I could take up all the sermons talking about Bushido, but I just want to talk about one core tenet of Bushido. One thing that changed the way that samurais lived and died. You see, to a samurai, the core of Bushido meant, it translated to, already dead. Already dead. It was the fundamental reality of Bushido, and one that a samurai would embrace, that I am already dead. You see, a samurai would reconcile themselves to their death. They would identify their death with their death at such a level that they would view themselves as already dead. Now this seems morbid to us, doesn't it? What a morbid thought to reconcile yourself to your death, to identify yourself with your death. And, and what a fun bunch of guys, these samurais, just sitting around thinking about death. They're already dead. That's a, jo- that's a jolly group, right? Well, see, it's because of the way they viewed they were already dead that they viewed they could fully live. There's a method and a reasoning for this that armed the samurai with something powerful. You see, because of Bushido and because they believed they were already dead, they could be fearless. 
They could take on any challenge, no matter the odds. They could choose what is right and, wa- and wise, no matter the cost. You see, for samurais, they took their death so seriously, they considered themselves dead to this world and all that it had to offer. They could be fearless and courageous and singularly focused to do the will of their king. The samurai were known for this. They could charge any battlefield without fear. Do you know why? When you go into battle, I am guessing, what's the thing you fear most? Death. But when you're already dead, what do you have to fear? They could charge any battlefield because they were already dead. They would uh, choose to follow and obey the wishes of their king without hesitation because they were unaffected by the concerns and the cares of this world. You see, when someone is already dead, there's not much they can do to you. How do you scare a dead person? How do you tempt a dead person? To truly live, the samurai believed you must first die. To the samurai, the Bushido was the code that guided them through death to a full and vibrant life. Now, now you're asking, I know you're wondering, what does this have to do with Paul? Is Paul a samurai? I'm glad you asked. No, he's not a samurai. I'm glad, but, but listen, what does a samurai charging a field of battle have to do with Paul going to Jerusalem? Well, see, Paul lived and preached Bushido before there were even any samurai. The reason the samurai could charge any battlefield is the same reason that Paul could travel to any people at any time, no matter the hardship, because Paul considered himself already dead. He considered himself to be already dead. Now, some of us are going to struggle with this, because if we're honest, not dying is like our number one priority. What is it Seinfeld says? that uh, Actually, the number, the, the number two fear in the world is that we'll die. But the number one is public speaking. So Seinfeld says, so, so, so at a funeral, most people would rather be in the casket than on the stage talking about it. Yeah. <laughs> but we don't want to die. We want to preserve our life. And so it's kind of this strange thing um, when we talk about what it means to truly live and truly die. But I want to say this. If we don't view ourselves like Paul viewed himself, until we view ourselves as already dead, we can never fully live I'm not talking about Paul taking his own life, literally. I'm talking about Paul dying to his selfish desires, dying to the world, dying to, to, to his own life. It's only when we have died to the world and its temptations, its offerings and its distractions that we can live for what matters most. I want you to hear this one more time. Listen to what Paul's saying. Hear the emotion behind it. You know, when we read the Bible, we can kind of take the emotion out of it, but think of the way that he would have said this. And now compelled by the Spirit, I'm going to head to Jerusalem. But I don't know what's going to happen to me when I get there. All I know is that every place I go, the Holy Spirit warns me that I'm going to be put in prison and tortured and face hardships. But it doesn't matter to me. I consider my life worth nothing. My only goal is to do what God has called me to, to preach the gospel of life. That's my main concern. Where would Paul get such boldness? Is this just a one-time thing? If we, no, if you read the writings of Paul, you get to see that he has this rounded out view of what it means to be already dead. Galatians 2.20, my old self has been crucified with Christ. My old life is dead. He goes on and says, it's no longer I who live, it's Jesus who lives in me. I'm already dead. Galatians 6.14, as for me, may I never boast in anything except for the cross of our Lord. And because of that cross, 
My, in, my interest in this world has been crucified. I'm already dead. Philippians 4.11, I have learned how to be content with whatever I have or don't have. I know how to live on almost nothing or to live with everything. I have learned the secret of living in every situation. Whether I have a full stomach or an empty stomach, whether I have plenty or little, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. He says, I've learned the secret to living and it's through dying. Paul is already dead. Philippians 3, 7, I once thought my previous life was valuable, but I now consider all that stuff worthless compared to Christ. Yes, everything in my life is worthless when compared to this, the infinite value of knowing Jesus as my Savior. For his sake, I have discarded everything else. I consider those things in my life as garbage that I might gain Jesus. My life is already dead that I might live for him. 2 Corinthians 6, he talks about what it means to be a minister. And he says this, in everything we do, we show that we are true ministers of God. We patiently endure troubles and hardships and calamities of all kinds. We've been beaten. We've been put in prison. We face angry mobs. We've worked to exhaustion, endured sleepless nights, and gone without food. We prove ourselves with our purity. We prove ourselves with our understanding and our patience and our kindness. By the Holy Spirit within us, we have a sincere love. We preach the truth faithfully. God's power is working within us. We use weapons of righteousness in the right hand for attack and the left hand for defense. We serve God whether people honor us or whether they despise us whether they slander us or whether they praise us. We are honest, but they call us imposters. They ignore us, but they know who we are. We live close to death, but we are still alive. We've been beaten, but not killed. Our hearts ache, but we always have joy. We are poor, but we give spiritual riches. We own nothing, yet we have everything. You see, Paul has died to this world died to himself. He is already dead that he may then live a new life. Paul was fearless because you cannot scare a dead man. Paul could not be tempted because you can't tempt a dead man. Paul was focused because you can't distract a dead man with lust and riches. He was unconcerned if people rejected him because he was dead to his debt reputation and he was dead to worrying about what others would think of him. Paul was brave in the face of whatever would come at him because you can't threaten and you can't intimidate a dead man. Now, Paul wasn't some sort of sociopath. We need to understand when you die to this world, that's luxury, it's complacency, the lust and riches and reputation. When you die to the world, you can truly live. When you lay down your life, you can pick up a life truly worth living. When you surrender your passion, you can live with one true passion. It's only through death that we can truly lie, live. Or to, to quote the uh, Hagakuri, the most dangerous person on earth is the one who has reckoned themselves with their own death. Because you can't tempt them. You can't coerce them. You can't intimidate them. You can't bribe them. You can't pressure them. You can't threaten them. Paul can travel anywhere the Spirit leads him. He can overcome anything the world throws at him. He can endure anything people do to him. Because he is dead to comfort. He's dead to luxury. He's dead to his reputation. He doesn't need them to like him. He's living for his God. Paul lived it. He viewed life through this way. He lived Bushido, but he wasn't the only one. You see, Paul followed in the footsteps of a revolutionary rabbi who teached this theology of death and life. Jesus said something that was repeated in every gospel. If you cling to your life, 
you will lose it. But if you let your life go for my sake, you will save it. Jesus said, in me is life and life to the full. And it comes when we open up and give our life away. He tells his disciples in Luke 9, Jesus says this, I'm gonna suffer many things. I'm gonna be rejected by the spiritual leaders and the priests and all the teachers. I'm gonna be killed. He says in John 10, 18, but no one can take my life from me. I sacrifice it voluntarily. He's already dead. Luke 9, 23, Jesus turns to the crowd he says, if any of you want to be my follower, you must turn away from your selfish ways. Take up your cross daily and follow me. Take up your cross daily means to daily die. You are picking up the apparatus of your sacrifice and dying anew every day. Jesus says, if you want to be my disciple, you die every morning. You die every day. And on the other side of that death is life. So, the question is, what needs to die in your life? What keeps you from fully following Jesus? When we begin to find these things, whatever keeps us from fully engaging our faith, whatever keeps us from fully following Jesus, Orchard, it is time for a funeral. Whatever it is that hinders us from fully giving our life to God who gave his life for us, it's time for a funeral. Those things need to die. Is it your reputation? Are we so worried about what people will think of us that we cannot and we will not speak or act or live the way that Jesus wants us to? If it's your reputation, it's time for a funeral. You need to die to your worry of what others will think. What keeps you from fully following Jesus? Perhaps it's your complacency. You see, oftentimes in our lives, we get enough things that we want. We get the house, we get the spouse, we get the job, and then we get addicted to this complacent routine. As humans, we get settled in a comfort zone, and faith does not grow in a comfort zone. You see, it's our contentedness. It's our spiritual complacency in this life that keeps us from stepping out and making bold decisions. When we've gained what we want from the world, why risk it? Like, why rock the boat? But Jesus spoke to this, and he said, you can gain everything this world has to offer, and you will lose your soul. You get to pick where you die. You die to the world, die to the Father. What keeps us from following Jesus? Are we afraid to be different? For some of us, we're afraid to be different, but I just want to remind us that in Jesus, we are called to be different. We are different. We are new creations. Jesus didn't give up his life and die so that we can come to him as our Savior and be just like everyone else. We should carry with us a resource of love and justice and compassion and hope and forgiveness. We should walk and speak and be different. And if anything hinders us from that, it's probably something that needs to die because we are afraid and worried about how it will be received or what's gonna happen. We should live as one already dead through that death that we can truly live. The beauty of living dead to this world is that you live alive for Jesus. See, the truth of the matter is you cannot live fully for both God's kingdom and your own kingdom. You can't live for the Lord 
and for luxury. You can't live for your reputation and for redemption. You can't live courageously for Christ and at the same time just be complacent. You can't strive for godliness and yet strive for greediness. You can't sacrifice for integrity and at the same time sacrifice for impurity. These things, one has to die. You get to choose whose kingdom wins out, yours or Jesus's. This is what Paul said, I am dead to my own kingdom. I am dead to the kingdom of the world that I might live and build God's kingdom alone. And nothing can hold him back. It's time for a funeral. It's time to die to the things that keep us from following Jesus fully. I can't even guess what all the issues in here might be. I know what mine are, but the Holy Spirit will make it clear what it is that in our life is competing for our passion, competing for our faith, competing for our our love of our Savior. You see, as strange as the whole concept seems to us, this death and already dead, true life, life to the full, Jesus said in John 10.10, I came to give life and life to the full. That is on the other side of laying down your life to Jesus. You can see, because God calls us, each of us, to a full life. He calls us to a life full of love and full of hope. He calls us to a robust, real-time relationship where we are knowing him and trusting him. He calls us to love him with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength. And he calls us to love other people with all that we are. He calls us to adventure, to risk, to not play it safe. He calls us to put it on the line and go all in and and find a life that has eternity and glory woven into it. Not settle for complacency, not settle for contentedness, not settle for playing it safe or afraid what people will think. He's designed us for greatness because he is great within us. He calls us to seek him and pursue him above all things. He calls us to stop looking to our job or looking to our spouse or looking to a house or looking to whatever we have to bring us security and peace. He wants us to have security and peace in him regardless of our work, regardless of our living situation or romance. In him is everything we truly want and need for living. For this to happen, there had to be two deaths. The first death is Jesus's. Because of his death, and this is what we celebrate in communion, because of his death for us, we have access to the Father and access to true life and eternal life. That's the first death. The second death is this. It's our death. That we would die to the world and die to ourselves. And the Bible is not cloudy and it's not unclear on this. It's crystal clear on this subject. Just listen to me. Colossians 3.1, you've been raised to new life with Jesus. Set your eyes, set your thoughts, set your sights upon heaven where Christ sits. Catch this. Think about the things of heaven, not the things of earth, for you died to this life. So think about eternity. Think about the things of heaven, love, hope, grace. When you are thinking about those things and they're in your life, you live differently. And then it says this, put to death the sinful earthly things that lurk within us. Don't have anything to do with sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, greed, or idolatry. Die to those things. Galatians 5.24, those who belong to Jesus have crucified their flesh, passions, and desires. And then Romans 6 says this, since we have died to sin, how can we continue to live in it? Or have we forgotten that we joined our life with Jesus in baptism? When we did that, we joined him in death. Now remember, baptism we think is just some religious ritual, but it is not. It is a powerful symbol. It's a beautiful, powerful symbol. And it says here, don't forget, you have joined your life with Jesus in in baptism. 
In baptism, it's the symbol of dying. Jesus died and resurrected. We, we, we would die with him. For we died and were buried with Christ in baptism. And just as Jesus was raised from the dead, now we raise and we live new lives. We and Jesus have, should die to those things and live a new life. The offer is true life. And, and God is looking for men and women who take this seriously. And, and, and a sermon like this is so hard to give because we, I get it. In America, it is hard to just die to everything. There's a lot to live for. There's a lot of distractions. But see, God is doing something. God longs to do something, a fresh work in this area, a move of God that will be from Redstone to Rifle to Aspen, something redemptive, a move of God that, that will change things. And he's looking for a people who don't count their lives so important that they, they would not say yes to him. He's looking for a people who put it on the line. He's looking for a people who say, I will follow no matter the cost. I will follow redemption no matter my reputation. Orchard, he's looking for a people who take him at his word and say, I'm in. I'm all in. You know, our life is just a breath. It is so short in terms of eternity. And I want to spend every ounce of my life for eternity. I want to get to heaven just exhausted from, from, from the following and the serving and the loving that God has asked me to do. Perfectly do I do it? Not at all. But Orchard, we are called to live heroically, to lay our lives down and live for what matters most. We will not regret this. You don't regret making these decisions, these trades. You see, there's people who they choose, they're always concerned with greener grass and, and what, what I can get next or what I need next. And the people of God are not so much concerned with green grass because it's the red blood of his sacrifice that, that spurns us on. That I want more than just green grass in this life. I want new life, new hope. Lou Giglio, one of my favorite speakers and authors, he says this, this just gets me. He says, I have a deep conviction that the greatest regret any of us will ever know will be standing before Jesus knowing we live too safe, too comfortable, and too short-sighted. When we realize that we were gluttons for pleasure when we were supposed to be lean warriors for people's freedom and for Jesus' fame. I don't want to have that regret. I don't want to live a safe life. I don't want to live short-sighted. God has called us to greatness. He's called us to join him in his greatness. He is doing great works of redemption and salvation. He's forgiving sin. He's, he's forgiving shame. He's breaking the bonds of addiction. He wants to do, he wants to put marriages back together. He wants to, God wants to do great things. In Orchard, he's looking for us to join him and partner with him in this and say, I love your life and you're what you have to offer more than I love my own. The application for this is, is, a, is a bit different. The application is I hope that you're inspired at some level to go live for God. I want our inspiration, though, to turn to dedication. You know, I want our emotion to turn to devotion. I want our passion to lead to a passionate pursuit. What, I, what, we, what we want is for us to feel, yes, God, I want you, and then to go and make decisions that make a difference. And for some of us, you would leave this place and go make a bold decision in some areas that need to die in your life. I am praying that by the Spirit's leading, some of you will have a funeral in your heart for some things that need to die so that you can truly live. Whether it's a secret sin, whether it's things going on in your life, whether it's things that no one knows about, 
that are hindering you and holding you back, perhaps it's time to cut those chains and to continue on. Hebrews 12.1 says this. I have lost my place. But Hebrews 1 says, let's throw off the sin that so easily entangles and run the race ahead. Anything that entangles, anything that holds you back, die to it. This is a hard teaching. Paul's a hardcore guy. He's always talking about being dead. He's always talking about his, ah, my life, my death, whatever. I'm doing what God asks. And he wouldn't fit in really well in our culture. But I'm hoping we change that. I'm hoping that a lot of us begin to be already dead to what the world tries to distract us with. Already dead to what the world tries to tempt us with. Because you can't tempt a dead person. You can't intimidate a dead person. So I die to those things. (laughs) And then I live for my Savior. Orchard, let's go be a different kind of people. A people of redemption. A people called by his name, for his name, for his glory. Let's be those warriors who are working for other people's freedom and for our Savior's fame. Amen? 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 Amen. Let's pray. Jesus, Father, forgive us for our small-minded complacency and loving our lives and the things of this world. It's so easy to do. But Jesus, you have called us to something so far greater. I pray that the Holy Spirit in this time would do what my sermon can never accomplish And that's change and transform the hearts of people. I pray you would call us and challenge us. I pray within this, the people listening here on podcast, that we would be challenged for what needs to die in our life. Holy Spirit, we trust you. You know us. So we trust you to speak it. So Orchard, as we go to communion, as you sit there and you hold the symbol of Jesus' death and resurrection in your hand, his communion, the death that gives us access, he laid down his life for us and his request is that we lay ours down for him. As you hold it in your hands, ask the Holy Spirit, what is it holding me back that needs to die? And then listen. Allow him to speak to you.